The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Welcome to issue 206 of Super Skull. It's your weekly new Comic Day Audio Digest, this time for the week of October 3rd, 2018. My name is Nick Wybar. I'm here with Curtis Sullivan. Hello, Nick. Hello, Curtis. How are you this week? We have no Marcus this week. We're Marcus free. We're Marcus free. Last, Finally. Last week it was the two of yous. It was just me and young Marcus. And now it's the two of wees. Why, why was it just me and Marcus? Why did you leave me alone with him last week, Nick? I was on vacation. Oh, hey. Vacation where? I went to Washington, D.C. I went to our nation's capital. Oh, yeah. And you, I, you were telling me just a little whiff of this. You did some, some touring, some I did some touring. Stuff. I vaped all over our nation's capital. Fuck yes. I vaped at the Lincoln Memorial. Yeah. I vaped at the reflecting pool. Okay. I vaped in the Capitol building men's room, and I looked right next to me, and it was Orrin Hatch, and he was vaping. Of course he was. And he, it was just like sticking out of his mouth, like he just like somehow suspended it out of his jaw. Classic Hatch. And he fist bumped me. <laughs> wow. It was cool. Sounds incredible. I had a great time. It felt really patriotic, but it also like, it was fun too, you know? So I wanted to, I've been once, and I wanted to do the Segway tour, mm-hmm. but I wasn't able to for whatever reasons. You we were afraid of what you would look like on a Segway. This is the thing, I don't care. You don't. About, I don't give you don't a care. shit. Clearly, you don't I'll, care. No, I'll ride a Segway in a second. You know, even though the founder died on a Segway. Not true, by the way. Totally Hold on. not true. You are taking me on a Segway ride right now. <laughs> You're saying that the founder of the Segway, the guy who cre- invented the Segway, yes, died on it, but not really. Not really. So this was alleged. This is one of those you know rumors that has percolated and and persisted for years and years and years. Is that the owner of this? You know, the creator of the Segway, Greg Segway, Greg. Greek way. Yes, Greg Segwayson mm-hmm. uh, died on his own creation. Not true. Okay. Google it. Cool guy. Anywho, <laughs> did you ride a Segway around the Capitol? I rode those little scooters around all over the place. Oh, yeah. Which nice. I know you also love. I love them These are so these little much. scooters that are everywhere. You can get an app, and it'll show you where a scooter is. You can activate it with your phone, and then for a small amount of money, look like an asshole on the street. For a tiny fee, yeah. you can look like a total dick. They're great. They're great. They're so much fun. Man, I book on them all the time. Nick, you've admonished me for riding them on the sidewalk. You're not allowed to ride them on the sidewalk. That is illegal. Yeah. And I- Not only that, if you ride anything on the sidewalk except for your legs, you are an asshole. You can only ride your legs on what the you, sidewalk. You, you, we got to get wheels off the sidewalks. I think you're right. People. It's Just, dangerous. It's okay. It's the road. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine in the road. No, so here's the thing. After you t- you told me you spoke to me, I think fairly about not doing it, and I was like, "F you, man." Yeah. And then I thought about it for a minute. I was like, "You know what? I'm just gonna hit the the streets." Yeah, hit the streets. And it was great. I was in the middle of the road, and I didn't give a shit. I felt. Isn't awesome. it great? Yeah, I was. Turning. It's like you're a car. It was like I was a tiny little car. Yeah. It was incredible. Did you say? So. Did you say beep beep? I did not. But the one I was riding had a little bell on it, and I used the bell. You use it judiciously? Do you use it a lot? I would use it when I was turning corners for fun because you can't signal. This is the thing about being you on the scooter. You can't signal you on the cannot, little scooter. Do not one hand the scooter. You will die or maim yourself. You might yeah. not die, but you're going to maim yourself. So this is the tricky part of being on the street on a scooter, no signal. This. Speaking of getting maimed, there's two of us here. Mm-hmm. 
So you know what that means? I don't need to tell you what that means. It's Curtis versus Nick. It's Curtis versus Nick, dude. I'm gonna fuck you up. Wow. Yeah, that's right. I'm the I'm taking the kid gloves off. I'm gonna fuck you up in this podcast. Finally. How do you I, feel? Put my kid gloves on because you don't want. Oh no, that's always you always put your kid gloves on before you fuck somebody up. <laughs> that's right. Oh no. I usually fuck up kids. I don't know why so. I feel like it has to be contentious when there's two of us, but I do feel that way. Like, I strongly feel that way. No, there's animosity that's been percolating for years. It's just on the podcast. It's not IRL. It's only when we have microphones. Yeah. Yeah. How can we determine who wins this podcast? It's whoever's the most... Silent. Who makes the best chili. Ooh. Yeah. So we're going to have to make... We're going to have to set up some mics in the kitchen... And then podcast while making chili. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And that's the last note that we should probably point out before we dig in here. So if we sound a little strange. Yes. If it doesn't have the, the crisp tones that you're used to, that you come to expect out of a Super Skull production, it's because we're recording out of the Sullivan Stronghold this week. The Super Skull Studio, the original Super Skull Studio. Yeah. The second floor of my house. Which I do love. It's cozy. I like it a lot. I like the foam. But we just don't have our headphones. We got these microphones that are a little bit weird. Yeah. It's going to be great. I'm kind of into it. But it you know the other thing that's different. different about this week? Bailey's here with us. We have a new intern for the yes. podcast. Yes. I say a new intern, but we have our first ever intern for the podcast. And Bailey's hanging out with us in the recording session this week. Do you want to say hello? Hi. That's Bailey, everybody. She's great. Probably more from her in the future. Yes. And I get to endlessly talk about... Red Caps and Glocks now. Nick has mm -hmm. been hearing my stupid life aquatic jokes for years. Yep, you finally get to put them to use. Yes. Do you want to get them all out of the way now? Bailey's um, sitting right here. Why don't you just go ahead and get them well, out of your system? Well, you will have a Red Cap uh, coming your way, which is the official headgear of all interns of the Super Skull Show. And we are going to get you a Glock 9mm. And since you're the only intern, you won't have to share it with anybody. It will be your personal gun. She's going to probably turn it in, though, at the end of the semester? Oh, most definitely. Okay. No, you don't get to take either with you. The Red Cap and the Glock do get returned right, 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 to right. the studios of the Super Skull Show. Cool. So, yeah. Well, and with that, that. We've, we have, we've used up all Life Aquatic ah! references, and now we're good. Okay. I think we have to do some in the news. Let's do it. This week in the news, we're talking about a guy named Richard Meyer Boo. suing uh, a beloved comic creator, Mark Wade, who we love a lot. And this is over the uh, diversity in comics kind of debacle. Nick, you, you've been doing way too much reading on this. It's terrible to read about. but I don't recommend anybody do any reading on this whatsoever unless you want to be in a bad mood. I have a prescription for a bad mood, and it's read anything about Richard C. Meyer under any circumstances. So who is this guy? We got to say who he is, unfortunately, even though that's what he wants. Yeah, any t any talking to this guy is exactly what he wants. Richard Meyer, he's got a YouTube channel, Diversity in Comics. He alleged via court papers in a lawsuit that he filed this week that Mark Wade, the writer of Kingdom Come, what else did Mark Wade do, He's got a Curtis? killer run on Daredevil. Yes. I mean, the dude's been writing comics for literally 30 years. I don't think you can talk about, like, modern comic book writers he's a legend in the industry at this point he is he is a at the top tier of living writers in comic books yeah he did this book what was it called irredeemable irredeemable holy oh shit God, that a masterpiece so a modern comics masterpiece agreed so 
Richard Meyer suing him. He is claiming that uh, he that Wade defamed Meyer with false statements and that he interfered with Meyer's publishing arrangement with the publisher Antarctic Press. So, who's Richard C. Meyer? He's at the forefront of the Comicsgate movement, which we've talked about on this show many, many times. The movement more or less alleges, as we've talked about, that uh, comic books are suffering creatively and financially due to over-inclusion and the representation basically of non-white males. Yeah, any, any hiring of anybody who's not a Caucasian male creator is seen by these guys as diversity for diversity's sake. Right, and so it's both characters as they're represented in the books and then the hiring practices of the publishers. According to you know, folks that would kind of be on the pro-Comicsgate side of things, this is what's wrong with comics right now, is that we're sacrificing quality over inclusion. Is that a fair representation of what... If, I, if they were making their argument, I, I feel like that's a pretty fair representation yes, of what exactly. they Yes, exactly. So... Meyer raised over a hundred thousand bucks, and it might even be more than that now that I think about it. But he raised a lot of money, six figures for his comic book Jawbreakers, yeah, which what a piece of if you shit. I recommend that you take a look at some of the sample pages that have been provided for yeah. Jawbreakers. Oh my goodness, yeah, just Google. It looks it looks choice. Wow, the art is a guy named John Mallon who's been identified as a, a sort of a he's been outed as a Comicsgate supporter. Um, and yeah, the art is just garbage, dude. It's like, think of a Rob Liefeld clone, but but way less good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. super so, painful. So after this book raised a bunch of money on Indiegogo, then a publishing deal was arranged with Antarctic Press. And lots of people cried foul on this and raised a stink online because of Meyer's noxious behavior. Yeah, and they, they kind of came out and just said, hey, do you, do you guys know who this is, right? I mean, they, they, yeah, and calling for and calling for boycotts and calling for publishers not to put this stuff out. Lots and lots of people were doing this. Mark Wade is a loud internet personality. As much as I for love sure. Mark Wade, yep. Mark Wade can get. He owns a high horse and he's not afraid to saddle it up. You no, he will. Saying? He will pull out the loudspeakers and he'll yeah. call on his followers to. Yeah, and even you know. Mark Wade, who I love, sometimes I will roll my eyes real hard. Like, all right, Mark Wade's going at it again. And he got into this situation. He went online and announced that he was going to get in touch with the folks at Antarctic Press to make sure that they knew who they were getting in bed with in the form of Richard Meyer. So shortly thereafter, our Antarctic Press canceled the arrangement with Meyer. They canceled the publishing yep, deal. They said, we're not going to publish this book. Yep. And they actually came out with a statement. They said, nobody else was involved in this decision. Mark did contact us. You know, this has nothing to do with anything except for decisions that we made internally. We wish Richard C. Meyer all the best. This was Antarctic Press's statement yep. in a nutshell. So Meyer is asserting in his lawsuit that he's been effectively blackballed in the industry. He's unable to find a publisher that's willing to work with him. And he's suing Mark Wade for $75,000 in damages. And Richard C. Meyer, because part of his claim is that Mark Wade falsely accused Meyer of participating in harassment. Right. According to Richard C. Meyer, nobody was ever harassed, and he never took part right. in he, any harassment. He's also It's also uh, been said be, that he encourages his followers to harass, right? And right. he claims this has never happened this is This is completely untrue. Yeah. So this stuff makes me feel crazy, because Richard C. Meyer... 
there we have a record. And actually, I think we actually will link to these in the show notes just because I think there should be like an easily findable record of this dude putting up lists of comic shops that would not carry his book and screenshots of conversations of people uh, talking about not carrying Richard C. Meyer's books. Richard Meyer would post these lists of people and ask folks to figure out what shops they worked at and what shops they owned. He would then come out and say, like, now make sure you don't harass these people. But I don't know what this is, if not a call for harassment and a call for shitty behavior. It absolutely is. And this is the trick of this this dude, right? Yeah. You know, subtly kind of in code calling for lists. I mean, this is making lists of your enemies and then publishing them online and then turning around and saying like what i didn't do i didn't do anything wrong who me like it just i it makes me feel insane i don't want to dwell on it for too long but it is something that is kind of like making its rounds through the news this week yeah and it's not hard to believe uh this guy uh, is pretty dang toxic and just a couple looks at anything he's posted or his videos yeah i mean it's it's this is the style of this guy. So it is encouraging that he can't get his book published. It really is. That's so that's kind of a cool thing to come out of this. If he actually is being blackballed, if he actually is having a hard time, you know, getting his book put out there, I'd like that. I, I, that makes me feel good. Absolutely, and it's not about somebody who hasn't done anything wrong being blacklisted from the comics industry. It's about somebody who actively promotes hate and harassment. And hey. I just think it's great that uh, this dude can't get published, and it, good luck, man. You know, he had a he had a gangbuster Kickstarter. Do it yourself, buddy. You know, and if the work speaks for itself, if this comic is so great, if it's the amazing comic that comics have been needing that's going to save comics, because that's the other thing that this dude is all about, right? You know, comics are dying because of this shit. I'm right. going to make comics that this is how they need, should be done, right? Mm-hmm. This thing should have no trouble finding a publisher if that's the case. Right? Publishers love money. Good luck, man. Uh, You can do it. Agreed. Agreed. Joshua Dysart, who's a writer in comics, a supremely underrated writer in comics. Dude is fantastic. One of your favorite books of all time is this guy. Yeah, he did a a rebooted Unknown Soldier book that was fantastic. And he he said, Snowflake Richard Meyer is a laughingstock, exhausting infant, and creatively vacant douche to 99% of the comic industry. That is why his career is shit. I can't really put it much better than that. And in other news, Mark Wade is uh, just got a new job. He's joining Humanoids as their director of creative development. That is fantastic. That is a great publisher, mostly known for publishing European comics in English. They're the bomb. They are. Wish them all the best. That is a great position. I read a little... Uh, article about this. He's going to not only curate the stuff they're bringing over, but he's going to head up new works. There's going to be new Mark Wade from Humanoids. That's written pretty cool. comic books, so that's awesome news. That's a good title, too. Director of Creative Development. I'm Sounds kinda, pretty I'm awesome. I kind of into that. I just want that to be my job title, even if I don't do that. Hello, podsters. No! Thanks for listening to the Super Skull Show. We, every week, read all the comics in the world, and then we tell you all about them, only the best ones. But we need money. And if you could find it in your heart to go to Super Skull Show backslash donate, or just slash donate, and donate a little bit of cash to keep the lights on, we'd appreciate it. Podsters. Hey, Podsters. Hey, Podsters. Hey, you guys are Podsters? I'm a Podster. I'm a Podster. I'm a Super Podster. (laughs) 
Did you read any comic books this week? I did. I read a glorious stack, a giant stack. How many number ones came out this week, dog? uh, It was so many, and it was. I read six number ones. I feel like twenty number ones were released this week. My pile of comics this week, not counting graphic novels, twenty nine books. Twenty nine books. Ridiculous. It was a big week in comic books. It was really, really big. I felt like I was unpacking boxes of comics yesterday for an eternity. It was like there was no end in sight. So we bag and board all the comic books, and literally, I was bagging and boarding for fourteen hours yesterday. Fourteen hours, literally. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and by that I mean figuratively. It was like three hours, but still, it's a lot. I read some pretty good stuff. Yeah. One of the I read one that in particular that was pretty good. We both read it. We both read it. It was Batman number fifty-six. Ooh, Batman is so good. Hey, it's it's still written by Tom King. It's still written by Tom King. We're still talking about er- almost every issue of this book. Yeah. I do not apologize. No, it's that good. Do yourself a favor. Check it out. So in Batman number fifty-six this week, it features a pretty fraught relationship. With uh, between a father and his son, it does. And the villain that it focuses on with this this father son relationship, his name, which I love, is KG Beast. That's a that's a pretty. I mean, I love it. I don't know why I love it so much, but it kicks ass. It is so cheesy, and it is such a like throwback to an era that doesn't exist anymore and probably shouldn't. But I love it. No, it so still this, works. He first appeared in 1988. No surprise, right at the end of the Cold War. KG Beast. He's a super trained killer. He is part of a top secret and elite sect of the KGB. And I found this quote, so I don't remember where I read it, but he, quote, mastered the art of every weapon known. That's absolutely ludicrous. Well, he, he did it. I so. mean, that's 39 million weapons. I wouldn't talk shit because he can kill you. He is called KG Beast. You're KG right. KG Beast. And eventually they changed his name to... The Beast instead of KG Beast. I mean, in casual conversation, you just probably want to say, hey, Beast, what's yeah, up? Yeah, exactly. You know. His friends call him Cage, I would imagine. So, spoiler alert, in Batman 55, the Beast shot Dick Grayson in the head. Dick Grayson, the original Robin. Oh, my goodness, dude. He that, shot him in the head. Y- yes, it messed with me so hard. It's the last page of the last issue. It was a holy shit comic book moment. Yeah. I was stunned. You know how intense that is? But guess what? He's not dead. Oh, thank goodness. He's hanging on by a thread. The sweetest assassin in the world has got him cross-haired, dead to rights, shoots Robin in the head, and he's okay. Well, it was, to be fair, a kill shot, Mm -hmm. but for whatever reason, it just went right through the brain meat in just the perfect way Yeah, where (laughs) it didn't murder him. Right. And so now we're cutting back and forth. So Batman's pretty pissed. Yeah. As you would imagine. And he's on the hunt for KG Beast. He will stop at nothing. The unhuntable man. You can't hunt down the KG Beast. He does not want to be hunted. Is that a tagline for this dude? The unhuntable man? No, I just made, I coined it for him. Perfect. But you, uh, he's really, he has no living links. This is why one of the reasons why he's so unhuntable. Because he killed all of the living literally links. anyone who's trained him anyone, anyone trained he kn- him. he's ever met basically yes. anybody who yeah he met on the bus like he's just he's killed everybody in his life except his father and his father lives in a tiny little russian town on the outskirts of nowhere and it's out there it's way out it's there. way out there mm. but guess where kgb's is going going to talk to daddy going to talk to daddy 
which is a sentence I never want to hear you say ever again. <laughs> and that he, was horrible. I'm so he, sorry. He heads straight out there because he knows that he's going to be hunted by the bat, right? No, he's unleashed. Yeah. The dark detective. Yes. The dark knight. The dark knight is, is going to find daddy. He will stop at nothing. Right. So what do you got to do? You got to go home. You got to go home. You got to go home. So KG Beast is hanging out with his dad mm-hmm. in this weird shack. They have a drink together. You know, they have this kind of touching little moment. And we come to learn that the only reason that KG Beast, and I'm just going to keep saying his name like that because I think it's awesome. If the only reason that he never killed his dad is because his dad was the only one who wasn't weak. Right. And his dad's reply is, that's why you're weak. Oh, man. KG Beast. It, it hurt. <laughs> and, that's felt... why, and that's why I'm weak too, son. Because I wouldn't kill you either. Mm-hmm. But he's basically going out there to take his dad out so that there are no links left for the bat to hunt. No, and it's it's weirdly apparent, and I don't know how I apparent. got- Apparent. I get it. Hey, uh, I don't know how I got this off the page because they don't say it, but you just know he's there to kill him before anything happens. Mm-hmm. The dad already knows. It's kind of in the air. They're having this very personal interaction, but the dad knows why he's there. Oh, totally. It's time to die. Yeah, his dad hasn't had a drink in, I think he, he said decades. Yeah. And his son's like, when's the last time you had a drink? Well, it's been decades, son. All right, well, let's have a drink right now. Yeah, that sounds about right. Because he knows that he's going to kill him. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. all of this stuff, it was another solid issue of Batman written by Tom King, whatever. But it's got us thinking about dads in comics. Mm-hmm. Why are dads such a problem in comics? Or, yeah, why are they, yeah, why are they a problem in all the ways? Why are they not there? Why are they not there? Why are the relationships fraught? Why are, what, there are no superheroes that I can think of that have just great relationships with two living parents that support them while they are also cool superheroes. Right, that, that has never happened. That's just not a thing that, does, that exists in comics, or if it does, it's exceedingly rare. The norm, the norm unfortunately is the orphan. Yes, the parents are dead. Yes. And they're not only are they dead, but they died horrifically in a car crash yes. or they were murdered. So I'm hung up on orphans. I got a I got a little I got an orphan thing. You got, you got a little bit of a beef with orphans. I get, and I'm on record about this. I think orphans in fiction, I'm just kind of sick of orphans in fiction. You think it's a trope? Well, it is a trope. It is, it is, obje- it is. It is objectively a trope. Yes. I think it's a bit of a cliché. I think I don't think I'm alone in this, right? And once you open, once the scales have been removed from your eyes, you just see orphans everywhere. Just right. Every time you turn around, there's just like there's probably an orphan behind me right now. I'm not even kidding. Don't tell me if no, there is. No, breathing down your neck as we speak. So the British Library has this really great article that we will link to in the show notes, which argues that the novel. So the novel. The, right? the whole thing, the, the whole form thing, of the, a novel. The beginning of like uh, fiction and literature, which comic books, obviously, are springing out of the novel, right? So the novel itself grew up, as a, this quote, a genre representing the efforts of ordinary individuals to navigate his or her way through the trials of life. So the orphan is therefore an essentially novelistic character set loose from established conventions to face a world of endless possibilities in danger. So the idea is that if the if a story is about a person that has to make their way in the world and you want to highlight that they are alone and have to make their way in the world, the best way to do that is to not give them any of the trappings and the comfort of, you know, anything that would 
make that easier. Right. And any success or whatever right. adventure or, or whatever they have yeah, is the, them. And the one universal thing that we can all acknowledge would be, you know, tough to deal with is not having parents, hence orphans. So the argument we can extend from that is that superheroes, they are super characters in these fictionalized worlds, right? If you think of a comic book as a super novel, because it's uh, you know larger than life and it's a little bit more bombastic than a novel, they have to have supersized problems with their parents, if their parents exist at all. Exactly. So that makes their accomplishments more impressive and more super because they did them on their own. Right. And it gives them they had to do all this without the guiding hand and support of like two parents. Right. No, which is pretty incredible. Right. I mean, you're already this amazing building leaper. Right. But to get there or to learn if you're KG beast, I guess he had a dad still, but Mm -hmm. to learn every single weapon that's ever been. Right. You know, on your own. Pretty cool. You know, Batman built his Batcave all by himself. All by himself. His dad did not help. Yeah. So, the early concern of comic books is not literary sophistication. So, we have, like, comic books popping out, at least the modern superhero, late 30s, early 40s. Yes. Right? Yep. The novel has already moved a long way since it, from this point. Well, and it's just had tons of contributors and years and years to develop as, yeah, a, as yeah. a medium, right? And yeah. right off the bat, comic books are not—comic need comic books need to get to the punching, and they need to get to it quick. Yeah, and and they're produced very quickly yes. also. So it's like, go, 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 so make whatever, comics. So sh- what shortcuts do you have to get us to the punching and to give us any sort of just even like the barest amount of emotional weight to justify the punching, which is what folks are, are paying for. This is what their nickel's being spent on. So there are crazy shortcuts being used in comics and, and you know, the, the tropes of comics already, but the ultimate shortcut are dad problems and being an orphan. These are like easily and frequently called upon just over and over. So it's not enough that Superman has super strength and he wants to do right by the world. His parents had to be killed in the most spectacular fashion. Yeah, and the, and, the, and like Superman is like the, a great example because they, I mean, his whole planet is whole destroyed, planet right? So destroyed. he's an orphan of a planet. Yeah. Oh, you that's know? a good point. He's just like, there's. it's only him. Yeah. You know? He, yeah. He is a species orphan. Exactly. That's really interesting. <laughs> Which is pretty dang, like, I, you know, when I first started reading Superman as a young kid, I was like, that is incredible. It's such a, yeah. I don't know why that's such an appealing idea. Yeah, it makes you know? him so lonely, and it makes him so singular that everything he does as a consequence of that is like even more impressive. Yeah. He's he's the super orphan. Wow. I didn't even think about the fact. Yeah, his parents were on the planet along with a lot of other people. So let's look at Spider-Man real quick. Yeah. like this is the most egregiously dad problem dude in the history of comics. My dude has a lot. So his parents die. To deal with. He's adopted by his aunt and uncle. His uncle dies. He studies under Otto Octavius, Dr. Octopus who betrays him and becomes an arch-villain. <laughs> Already, that's like, holy shit, that's... No, that's... Those are... So, okay. Three too many. Then his friend's father, Norman Osborn, who becomes like a father figure to him, goes power crazy, and he's got to punch him all the time. Spider-Man's got to punch Norman Osborn as the Green Goblin constantly, right? His boss at work, his professional authority figure, his, prof- his work dad, J. Jonah Jameson, hates Spider-Man and doesn't really give a shit about Peter Parker. Yeah, and they occasionally have like sort of cute like antagonistic yeah. boss dad Peter things. Yeah. But yeah, 
every day he's got to listen to him talk shit about yeah. Sp- Spider-Man. And then for a while, Tony Stork, Tony Stork, Tony Stork, Tony Stank, who is part as we of know him. my the, this whole like Marvel fan fiction thing that I'm working on, where every superhero is a bird. Oh, yeah. So you first you got uh, Tony Stork, mm-hmm. right? And then you have uh, the Incredible Spider Stork. Yes, there. It's a stork theme thing. I'm still kind of workshopping it a little yep. bit. The Incredible Hawk. That's what I was. That's what I was reaching for. Right, and you got um, Stork Vereen, who can pop. Can we get away from storks? I oh, feel I thought like they're married to storks. I just. I thought we were going all stork, but we're not. We'll come back to it. Okay. Anyway, so Tony Stark and Peter Parker enjoy a mentor mentee thing, right? And because they both love science, mm-hmm. they both love fighting bad guys. Tony is like the older father figure for him. He, again, I found another father figure, and what could possibly go wrong? Because we're both superheroes. Iron Man's never going to go bad, right? This is perfect. But wait, what happened? They have a giant uh, superhero civil war, man. Yeah, Tony makes yeah. him a cool new spider suit, and they're really palling out real hard, and and they're on the same team. He joins. You know, Team Iron Man. Mm-hmm. He reveals his identity to the world. They're like best friends. They're like, you know, everything's going great. And then Tony turns into a total prick and uh, is going to do whatever it takes to capture the superheroes, right, that don't side with him. Yeah. And this is the superhero civil war. You know, there's Tony's side, there's Cap's side. And he feels betrayed Yeah. by his new dad, his f- seventh dad. And... uh there we go. Yeah. <laughs> so he joins Capside and yet another dad betrayal, a dad ish betrayal, as we call them. Let's grant that comics are an extension of the novel, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's a it's a it's a mode of fiction. And novels grow more sophisticated and they find more interesting ways to deal with issues of parentage and to deal with the child parent relationship. And comic books uh, had to take a different track, right? Right, and, and you know, it's smaller, and I just want to keep bringing up this point. It's a smaller thing. It has less contributors. You know, novels uh, are, the, are this huge thing. They mm-hmm. sell a lot more than comics. There's a lot more kind of creative thought in... in just in terms of raw people coming up with yes, stories. Yes, there's more minds sure. uh, tackling it and, and making it a, a, you know, a more, you know, diverse space as far as storytelling But there's goes. something else, too, that I think is kind of interesting. Yeah. So, in... There's a weird quirk of comics, which is that is the everlasting character. Right. Right? Yeah, the the same stories being told for characters that are, I mean, they're going on, you know, 80 years. Yeah, so the novels, they they had to keep iterating. They had to keep coming up with new stuff because there's all these voices. There's all these writers that are trying to get down on it. But we are working with characters that were invented 75 years ago and still using them. Right? And those characters were created at the birth of the medium and the birth of a fictional medium might need orphans. This sure. is my argument, is okay. maybe that fiction, when you're working out the kinks of a new mode of fiction, maybe maybe you need orphans. It's a pretty good way to just kick it off. It's a good way to just like instantly kind of get the ball rolling down the hill and get some pathos going and get a little bit of, you know, feel for this person, care about this person. Right. He's an orphan. She is, is an orphan. You know, and orphans work because we can all, like you said, we can all relate to yeah. having parents, right? You're never closer to anyone. It doesn't matter if you're married for... 50 years, you're never going to know anyone or be more intimate with anyone than your mom or your dad, right? But it might be a little more sticky in comics. It might have stuck around a little bit more because every time there's a really good Batman story, Tom King writes a great Batman story, and every time that happens, we are reaffirming the primacy of the orphan. 
we are reasserting that the biggest character in the world, the best written character right now, maybe in comics, has parent issues, has daddy issues, Mm -hmm. right? And the same with Superman. And when a new Spider-Man movie comes out, we are reasserting that like in comic books, it's very important to have some sort of problem with your dad or to have some sort of problem with your parents. Right. Whereas if new characters had to keep iterating, if we weren't working out of the same framework, this stuff might have got worked out in a different way. It's a weird thing about comic books that no other medium really has to contend with. No, if, if every new comic book, yeah, like came along and had the orphan story again and again and again, new characters, yeah, that would not work. And yeah. we'd have to move on much quicker. But, you know, the top four characters, like you say, just dominate this thing and three of them are orphans. Right. 80 years later. Do you think any of these characters would be less engaging if they had just cool parents? You know, so it's, it, in my mind, it's a harder story to make interesting, right? Really? If, if everything's, well, so if everything's great, that's, mm-hmm. n- you know, that's not as fun to read about, right? Mm-hmm. If you go home and dinner's great and everybody's having a good time. And- but Batman hunting for Dick Grayson, hunting for KG Beast, mm-hmm. beating people up in Russia, Cutting through the red tape, bribing people. Does that story is that story less interesting if Batman had a mom and a dad that hung out with him sometimes? Yeah, I, I wonder uh, because you know, like Batman, he's searching for him because he never had this parent. So the driver for him is he wants to be a dad. He wants to be sure. He sure, looks sure. at Dick Grayson like his adopted son. Yeah, and it maybe it's sure. not a fair question to ask because it is like a def- that, especially for Batman, it's a super defining thing sure, about sure. the character, but. I wonder. I would love to see it. I would love to see a comic book where you have a super healthy relationship with your parents. They're still alive. Mm-hmm. You have a great home life or, or you know, a life that's outside of superheroes. That's awesome. And you're just a superhero because you got superpowers and you want to be a good person. You want to do cool shit mm-hmm. and help people. But everything else is great. Yeah. You take off your tights, you know, and you go enjoy your evening. And I'm not. <laughs> Watch a movie. And I'm not knocking it per se. Right. right. Like, I don't think that I think that good writers find interesting things to say about the fact that these characters have problems with their parents. You know, uh, the what does bug me is when we get new characters relying on the same tricks when they're when we have new characters that are created or new writers, new stories are coming out all of the time. If you look even for a second, you'll find that probably half of the characters of some of your favorite new comic books are totally orphans. Well, you know, being created in 2018 for sure. And I was just looking around on the internet for stuff that I liked, movie characters that I'm watching. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, there's a lot of orphans. Yeah, like way even more than I thought. I was like, man, definitely 20 percent of every fictional character is an orphan. Right. It might be like I, you know, I have no actual numbers, but maybe it's like 47 percent. Right. Which seems like a (laughs) shitload, you know. So maybe less orphans in fiction. Well, I'm glad that we finally got to talk about orphans on the podcast at length. You know, finally put this one to bed. Put that orphan to bed. (laughs) He's sleepy. Well, that is quite enough orphan talk for one day. Let's never speak of it again. Yeah, I I agree. Fictionalized, please, fictionalized orphans. Yes, please, of course, course. please. Thank you. It's not funny, Curtis. Sorry. Do you read any? What just we got a little bit of time left. What is the? Do you read anything else that was very good this week? Anything roll your socks up? I, I, yes. In fact, uh, a few things did grate my carrots in a way that I liked. I read 
The Witching Hour, number one, hmm. from DC Comics. Magic is dying in the DC universe. I feel like he's been dying a minute. For a minute. Yeah. For like a couple, three months. And uh, Oh, wait, I'm thinking of Marvel. It's, it mm-hmm. died in Marvel like a year ago. DC's catching up. Now their magic is dying. Okay, right. Got it. You know, they do the same stuff because they're the same company with a different name. Um, I love them both dearly. We know, buddy. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Wonder Woman's all up in there. She's forming like a, a secret like side magic league to like... Wasn't this the Justice League Dark premise? It is. This is kind of a follow-up to that. Okay, These got like it. elder gods, Hecate, and these old gods are like, y'all did a stupid job with magic, so we're coming to take it back and mm-hmm. take over. And like, it's cool, man. It's like Wonder Woman's had this like magic stamp since she was a little kid. It's a little retcon, but mm. she's been witch-marked. Since she was a kid, and now she's like turning like crazy white, and her hair is getting all crazy, and it looks, it looks nuts. It was really neat, little swamp thing in there. It was a good time. Uh, I'm still reading Ghost Rider, cosmic version. Cosmic Ghost Rider. You messing with this one at all? Man, I don't know about that book. So I'm loving it. Mm-hmm. It's like Ghost Rider is hanging out with baby Thanos. Yep. But now they're on a planet where there's another Thanos because he's like fractured time and it's a whole mess. And Thanos on this planet is the Punisher, mm. which is wackadoo because the Punisher is the who the Cosmic Ghost Rider is. You, this is nonsense to any human yeah. listening to this. It's so wacky. So, but I love it. I can't help it. Little baby Thanos is a little cutie. He's a little murder machine. Cool. So, yeah. What about you? Anything else stand out for you this week? Um, I'm like halfway through Tilly Walden's new book on a sunbeam. Hey, this book looks super good. From first second, man, I don't even know what this book is about. It's about this team of like cleaners or contractors that travel through space to old uh, pieces of architecture or like the ruins of some space civilization and they kind of clean it up and get it ready for it to be turned into an office building or get it ready to be turned into a museum of some kind. And yeah. then they peace out and fly somewhere else in space. So it's this tiny crew of like five ladies uh, in close quarters on this spaceship navigating all of their personalities and living in space together and also the weird vagaries of space madness and space architecture. It is wild, and I love it. Cool. I haven't read anything else from Tilly Walden, but I'm definitely going to now. She has a ton of books. Does she? Yeah, which I have not read, and now I'm going to... I just started, so I'm maybe 30 pages in. I'm really digging on it. I love the way they just drop you in. Mm-hmm. It's like there's a new crew member just coming to the ship, and yep. you don't know really what's... you know. Hey, I'm here for the ship, and it's this super fast-paced sort of like... They got a launch pretty soon. Yep. And so just the pacing of the opening sequence is This is really this person. Rad. This is that person. She's yep. the captain. She's the first mate. This is that person. Yeah, we we got to go. Seal it up. Let's yeah. go. Let's go. You know, and then they just throw you right into it. So that was really rad. And the art's fantastic. So I will I will be finishing this one, and I will be seeking out more Tilly Walden. Agreed. Her yeah. name's fun to say, too. It is. Tilly Walden. Let's, if we may, answer some listener questions. I love listener cues. If you have listener cues, if you are a listener and you have a cue, please send it to us. Superskull at vaultofmidnight.com. There's nothing that I like more than a good listener cue. You know? I don't know why I keep saying that. I just like to say listener cues. Well, we need more of them. We always need more of them. It's an insatiable maw. There are never enough cues. Have you seen the Sarlacc pit from Star Wars? Yeah, make it bigger and hungrier. 
That's right. That's that, what. It, that's what it is. That's our inbox. <laughs> Boba Fett's in there. So I have a question from Nevada. Oh yeah. Maybe it's Nevada. I've never known, and I don't know what the rule is when it's a name and not a state. Hmm. But we're gonna say Nevada. Uh, I think so. Nevada writes. Is the comic book industry being held back because of a conservative bent in comic book store ownership? She says conservative, and she wants to clarify that maybe it's not necessarily in a political sense, but maybe in a political sense. Mm-hmm. It seems like in the past year, comic book store owners that have been have been open about voicing displeasure with comics that trend towards diversity and issues of social justice. I wonder how much of this has had an effect on the cancellation of the new Vision mini- miniseries by Chelsea Kane, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Additionally, you mentioned previously the censorship of all future pre- uh, printings of Batman Damned and Batman's Penis. No more Batman. Nevada pain. didn't write that. I was just interjecting that that's why it was censored. Because mm-hmm. I love saying the words Batman's Penis. No doubt DC received pressure from distributors about this and attempted to appease these voices. Are the big two handcuffed by these store owners? If comics are locked into specialty store distribution, can it grow Can it grow any larger than it is now? I just feel like the market is constrained by a lack of vision by most comic shop owners. So, man, we sound like a couple of SJWs this week, bro, uh-huh. bro. Because this one's speaking right in into my into oh, my wheelhouse. Man, so we gotta like there's a lot to break down here, right? There's so, like four big questions here. So let's start with the big one. Do you think that the comic book industry is financially, let's start with that. Do you think it's financially being held back by conservative, in any sense, comic shop owners? Most definitely. One hundred percent. Elaborate. So the in this in the the numbers will bear this out. Marvel and DC own the lion's share of of the market. Mm-hmm. This is where comic shop order, comic shop owners order from Previews Magazine. They get all their books from one source, Diamond Comic Distribution. Yes, right. So the fact is, if a comic shop doesn't order it, it never makes it to a shelf. If it never makes it to a shelf, it's never seen by a customer. Super hard for a book to to sell. If no one can buy it. If nobody can buy it or can't even see it. Yep. There's not a lot of press to cover new releases. Comic books are a sort of small niche thing. They're not really, you know, not everybody's aware of of comic books at all or especially smaller new things coming out, right? So if comic shops don't order them, people can't get them. So that's the first thing right there. So right off the bat, comic books are just very, very subject in a weird way, in a way that most mediums of art are not. They're very subject to how a retail middleman feels about a particular piece of work. Correct. And what they've got a wild hair up their butt about that week or what their political views are or what have you can affect the entire medium in like a super disproportionate way. We, we should say comic shop owners have, you know, it's a tough gig, got small margins. You don't have unlimited Absolutely. shelf space, right? That said... I go into comic shops and I don't see a lot of stuff that I think is pretty basic. Mm-hmm. Everywhere we travel, we go into comic book stores, and there are it's Marvel and DC overwhelmingly, and and very little else. I think comic shop owners definitely could make more money if they got better at at ordering comic books. Mm-hmm. Pay attention, do more research, know what's coming out, know what's you know what's hit hitting outside of our bubble. Right. What's the NPR top 100? What's the Time Magazine top 100? What's the the New York Times bestsellers list? I mean, these are you know what are the 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 bookstore numbers? 
And you know, it, God forbid, maybe take a chance and order something, read it. Yes. And see what you think. Yeah. Maybe, the, you know, if you, if you can't rely on these outside voices, maybe spend a couple of bucks and read it yourself. Agreed. As, as the comic shop owner. So what's the next part of this question? It says, um, well, let's see. So are the big two in particular, are they handcuffed by these store owners? Do we think that the, you know, do the, how much are the big, I'm going to paraphrase what Nevada is asking here. Do, are, is the big two, are they being steered inadvertently by the weird choices that comic shops and comic shop owners make? Do you Ab- think? Absolutely. And I think I think that's absolutely true. And, yeah. and it's the the answer is the same as the one we gave before, which is that the customers are not necessarily people buying the books. The customers for these books are more comic book shop owners than you think they are. This is the thing. That's the main customer, right? Is like if you put these books in front of consumers, I bet the landscape looks way different. Yeah. Right. If there was unlimited shelf space and unlimited budgets at comic shops, and you just put these books out there. Man, then you could see, yeah, you know, and, and consumers would be making these choices. So we would argue, Nevada, in answer to your last question here, that like there, I think, I think Curtis agrees with me. I think that you the act the medium actually is kind of locked. It, it is kind of constrained by how much it can grow by the current system, the way the 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 direct market and the nature of the direct market. If we can't. If the distri- if the publishers never see the results of people that want to read their books, if the only thing they have to go on is what comic shop owners buy, then they're always going to be constrained by the voices of those comic shop owners, which is a v- even smaller minority than the already small population that reads comic books. It's so tiny. So it, on our best day, we have 5,000 comic shops in America, and that's being crazy. Yeah. So maybe it's 3,000. And we have three of them. Are there 3,000 people deciding what comics go on shelves? Right. Pretty much. That's wild. That's nuts. Thanks for your question, Nevada. We we can't talk about Batman's penis anymore because we've used up all of our chits. We can't talk about uh, the life aquatic anymore, Mm -hmm. and we can't talk about Batman's penis. Although, the only thing I'll say is that I came up with the term Batawang, and I cannot believe that you did not credit me with that on the last episode that was of you? Super Skull. Yeah, it was me. I felt like it was me. Ugh. I, I take credit for every great idea, Nick. You should, you should know this by now, man. Unbelievable. Austin asks, or he writes, that during the last week of Nintendo Direct, it was announced that Asmodee Games was bringing some of their hit titles. Let's lighten it up a little bit with some game talk Yeah. Here. Asmodee Games is bringing some of their hit titles, Pandemic, Munchkin, Settlers of Catan, to the Nintendo Switch. Wow. I the find popular this, home console. I find this rather interesting, says Austin, for what it could mean for the board game industry. It's a whole new way to try to bring families into the industry. At the same time, I'm curious how this format will work. Will it be more video game than board game? Would love to know your overall thoughts. Mm-hmm. What are your overall thoughts? Man, I'm, I love this. So board games are doing what I want comic books to do. Mm-hmm. Comic books, board games have been a little niche thing, and they've been growing and growing and growing. And more people play board games now than I think than they maybe ever have. Mm-hmm. You know, except for maybe when the only thing to do was play Monopoly a hundred years ago, right? But we're in this awesome time where board games are super cool. That said, they could get they could have even a broader reach. Is there a magical future when almost everybody that's alive plays a board game of? Of a sort, mm. and how could we get there? More venues, more avenues, more ways to show people board games. You know, because these games listed are super popular at our board game store and at other board game stores. 
does the world has has the have, have enough people played Pandemic yet? Do you think, Nick? I have a question for you. Yeah, I have a better question than the one you asked oh, me. Oh, well, fine. Go ahead. Ask what, me. What if more people want to play it digitally than want to play it cardboard, Curtis? Hey, I, what? Think- I don't want to get. I don't want to shuffle. I don't want to put all my little bits into bags and have to get. I don't want to look at anybody. No, I don't, I don't want to look at anybody's face. <laughs> I don't want to go anywhere. Why would I do that? I know. And then if I can, but if I have to now, I have to look at your fucking face if I want to play Pandemic. Mm-hmm. Do you know how much you can that just makes cut me that right sick? Out. <laughs> but I can cut that out. I can just play it on my Nintendo Switch. No, your disdain for looking at my face every time we play a board game is palpable. Yeah, it's gross. Yeah, thank you. No, just kidding. So. I think it will lead, I think it's just like digital comics. And you and I, I think, disagree a little bit on this. Mm-hmm. I think digital brings people in. Mm-hmm. I think you you go and look at these games on your Nintendo Switch and you start playing Pandemic and it, you, your curiosity, if you like it, is peaked. Yeah. You need more. You want more. You start Googling around. You start looking. Hey, what else is there? Hey, man, there's only five games on my Nintendo Switch. Is there a game store I could check out mm-hmm. for more board games? Bam. Pandemic. Dora's box has been opened, and then you're off to the races, right? Maybe. What if, okay, I have a follow-up question. Uh-huh. What if a game is so complicated that it's more fun digitally? I've played some board games in my time. Okay. Where I'll have a full table full of stuff. I'll just have so much stuff on a table. So many pieces and parts. And I got parts. a billion little piles, and I'm trying to keep track of all of this stuff. And then there's five other people sitting at the table, and I kind of got to keep track of what they're doing. And it makes my head want to explode. What if, and I got to remember all the rules and at the same time. you have to teach the game. Or, and so somebody has to teach the okay. game, and somebody's got to remember every single rule to make sure that nobody cheats or does something wrong or is you know makes a mistake or whatever. That doesn't apply to all games. That there's a lot of games where it's so simple that I don't think that's an issue at all. But for some games, for very, those very, very, very complicated games, right. will they find life in a digital format at the sacrifice of the physical format? Maybe. That's a hard maybe mm-hmm. because those games are expensive. Yeah. Those games take five hours. In real life, they're mm-hmm. expensive, right? You know, you're describing maybe like a Twilight Imperium or sure. something. massive five-hour game, right? Yeah. Where you need to find not only enough money and time to play the game, but then you need to find five other humans who are willing to look at your stupid face for five hours. Yeah. So maybe games like that do see more life. Right. That bums me out. In the digital format. I like the piles. I love the piles. I like the little dudes and the little bits and all the cards and like the chaos of it. I think it's kind of cool. But you can get Scythe right now on Steam, and I think it's like 10 bucks. Or something like that. Right. So it's a seventh of the price. And I played Scythe the other day and it's a good it's a good fifteen minute setup. Easy. It's a good it's a good fifteen minute or just to like get it up and going. And then it's and everybody knows how to play. Right. Like, and then it's that much time to tear it down. Yeah, so. exactly. No, that, I, I would never play Scythe digitally, but I'm obsessed with the real world version. Right, same here. Uh, and I love the tactile experience of it. My whole thing with board games, I love that they're going digital with the hope that it'll it'll get people to the table, the real physical, real world table, is because it's the only thing like that that I do currently. Modern Curtis Sullivan, mm-hmm. me. Everything I do is on a screen almost. Absolutely. Movies, video games, all my work is in front of a computer, everything. I love board games for the reason. I can look at my the stinky, stupid faces of my friends mm-hmm. in real life. Yeah. Because the almost the only time I see them. Right. It's the shit. 
I love it. So, but you might be onto something. Some people are just not going to be in for it, and they just want to play on their phones. Right. But there is going to be a percentage that's going to take the next step that wouldn't if they weren't there, right? So I think it's a win for the tabletop I, overall. I think you're right. And I think as things go more digital, I think we'll be looking for more and more ways, even subconsciously. It may not be a choice. I'm like, I am going to unplug right now and exactly. spend time with my friends. Exactly. Like I think we're just going to subconsciously want to like have tactile experiences and and to have the opportunity to look at your face sitting across the table, which is a joy, frankly, if I'm not being facetious wow. and silly yeah. right now. It's one of my favorite things. You're right. Thank you. No, I agree. And and sometimes your eyes just burn after yeah. eight hours of the phone or the, the TV screen. I can't look at it anymore. Yeah. So yeah. look at some cardboard, why don't you? It's going to happen, though. It's going to be more and more of this. John asks, last question for the day. John asks, First, he says, in recent years, this is a short and sweet email, and I like it. If you just want to send us an email and you want to get rid on the air, short and Keep sweet. Keep it tight. Keep it tight. In recent years, crossover events of Marvel have sucked eggs. So my first question is, what was your favorite Marvel crossover event and why? My second question is, what is a story you would like to see happen? A hero death? New characters? Thanks, John. That's a good question. Crossovers are. Do you agree that recent uh, Marvel crossover events have sucked eggs? Almost always, they're dog shit. Yeah. Almost always. Yeah. I mean, if there's if there's ten of them, eight of them are super shitty. Mm-hmm. But the first part of this question is, what's your favorite and why? I think we agree on this. Should we say it at the same time? Yes. One, two, three. Secret, Secret Wars. Wars. It's the best. It's really, really good. It's fucking incredible. And there's a million tie-in series. So it's everything that you should hate about a crossover. Yep. It's like 50 tie-in books. It like runs through every other comic that you were already reading. Yeah. And it's interrupting your favorite run of whatever book. And it was six months late. And yes. it fucked up a whole bunch of other books' timelines or whatever. Yes. Yeah. And it's they just kept throwing out one-shots and stuff. And if you just take the premise of it, it sounds stupid. Super stupid. It's the premise of every other dumb crossover that's ever happened. Like, yeah. all the people get sucked away to a place together where they got to fight. Yeah. It's the, the ultimate who win a fight. It's the ultimate who win a fight. They're on Battle World, and everybody's got to fight each other, and Doctor Doom is in charge. But somehow, all the pieces fit. It was really, really it's good. perfect. The art's perfect. The side stuff is great. I read so much side stuff. Yep. I mean, I've read 50 comic books with the names, more, uh, with the name Secret Wars on it. It's incredible. It shouldn't work. But they hired the right talent. The artist was fantastic. The writer was absolutely next level. It's John Hickman and Isad Ribic, two of the best that have ever been. And they let him run wild. Do you think that Marvel... So before, for me, before Secret Wars, the easy answer to this question is Marvel's Civil War. Do you think that book holds up? Have you read... So Civil War is the... The, the idea is that it's Captain America versus Tony Stark. Tony Stark says all superheroes should register and take off their masks. Captain America says... I don't know what he says. He says, don't tread on me. Yeah, he says, freedom, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, it's a freedom thing. Yeah, um, totally side with Cap, because freedom, mm-hmm. fuck yeah. Sure. But yeah, that is a good crossover. I have, to be fair, I have not gone back and revisited this thing. The, that was kind of the gold standard of Marvel yeah. crossovers for, you know, the last decade. Probably. It had some shocking revelations. The art was incredible. Yeah. yeah. It actually came out on time. Oh, it did come out. I think so. Dead on time. Yeah. yeah. Man, there have been some stinkers, though. But, Second uh, part, what is a story you would like to see happen? A hero death? New characters? I mean, for me, it's real easy. You just got to turn all those boys into birds. Let's go bird universe. Yeah. 
the expanded Marvel universe. They just make a new planet. Call it's it like Secret Wings. It's it's called Secret Her- Wings. Secret Secret Wings is the name of the series. Yep. What's the planet that they're on though? Because you know Marvel has to have like you know a, a designator for every planet. Mm-hmm. You know, is there a bird name that you would give the Earth? It would be Earth Nest. What is the what's the, uh, who's the living planet? Ego. Ego, the living planet. Mm-hmm. So it would be like Egot. What is the, <laughs> there? There is something. God damn it! If it was a little earlier in the day, this joke would be a lot funnier right now. I swear to God, it would. So you're saying Marvel birds? Put a bird on it. Yeah, just more birds. Okay. And that's the whole crossover, and nothing's really different. Like everybody's just a bird, and Spider-Man is terrified because he's gonna get eaten. Oh my god! Because he's the he's a bug. And it's just a flash. Everybody wakes up one day. And they're all birds. And they're all birds for some reason. But they're all totally into it. They're all totally into it because now everyone can fly. Mm-hmm. Except for the flightless birds. That would probably be a bummer if you were born as like a right. turkey. Yeah, Reborn, exactly. excuse me, as a turkey, right? Yeah. But nobody would probably eat you if everybody's birds. You don't eat other... If you're a bird, you don't eat other birds. No, it's the best day of the vulture's life. Okay. Right? Because he's primed. He's been training for this moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, birds eat other birds all the time. What are you talking about? I don't know how birds work. The vulture wakes up and he's still the vulture. He's still an old man in a vulture costume. Yeah. Everybody else is an actual bird. Yeah, and he's super pissed. <laughs> uh, that's all I got for a story that I would like to see happen. What do you got? I just want John Hickman to do whatever he wants on a crossover. Mm-hmm. So, Marvel, if you're listening, John Hickman's the guy who did Secret Wars. Yeah. Just let that dude do whatever he wants on a big, crazy fucking crossover, and it'll be great. Yeah. Probably. I would let him do Secret Wings if he wanted to. Okay. John Hickman? John Hickman. Are you are you busy? Secret yeah. Wings, hear me out. Call me. And sorry, sorry, we don't have a better answer to your question, John. <laughs> Thank you for writing. Once again, please write to us. Superskull at vaultofmidnight.com. Superskull at vaultofmidnight.com. It's spelled like it sounds. Before we leave this week, I need to know what you recommend, Curtis. I need to know your recommendo. I it can't a... be a comic book and it can't be a board game. What? But that's all I do. I know. I have nothing else, Nick. I know. You have so little and I'm taking it away. Shit. Today I made chili in honor of our home recording, returning to the original Super Skull mm-hmm. studio. I made all day chili. It was really nice of you to do that. I was excited to do it. I heard you were coming over. I was like, you know what? Nick loves chili. It's true. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't like chili? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, uh, do a, f- like a four meat chili. Mm. It's a lot of meat in this chili. Hit me with them. So it's steak, it's ground beef, it's pork tenderloin, mm-hmm. right? All pretty lean. I cook those in diced bacon. That's my fat. Like, oh. I don't use oil or butter. Pre-saute the meat. You're browning the meat. Browning the meat. In bacon fat. In, in, in diced raw bacon. Mm-hmm. Just get that juicy, smoky bacon flavor and all the meat. And then it's just, yeah, beans. So a lot of people, there's two camps, right, with chili. It's beans, no beans. It's mm-hmm. totally fucking beans. Yeah. All day long, go beans. I don't understand this argument of no beans. I don't know what it is. I don't know what's... Is it like a regional thing? Is there like... But what is, is that like region's a... problem with be- with beans? They're delicious. It ties the whole thing together. Is it a, is it a flavor thing? Is it because all you're getting is like the bean and the bean, whatever the bean's been sitting in? Bailey's nodding her head like that's probably the case. She's from the South. Okay. <laughs> and are you beans or no beans? Beans all the way. Okay, awesome. Bailey's pro bean in case you didn't catch that. So yeah. So yeah, absolutely go beans. Thank so, you for making chili. 
You're welcome, Appreciate and we it. will feast. Uh, what about you, Nick? You got a uh, a recommendo? This I week? recommend. I fin- I can't remember if I talked about this on the show before, but I recommend the AMC TV show The Terror. What? Which is based on a fictionalized. It's a fictionalized retelling of a true story about an expedition that went searching for the Northwest Passage, and it was lost with 129 souls. So I'm already. Literally shitting my pants. So they get like becalmed in the ice, and they're stuck in the ice, and they're up there for three years before they try to walk back. Wait, becalmed? Everybody's like really chilled out. No, well, they're chilled out in a way because they're stuck in ice. So becalmed is a way like like they, they freezes the water around them freezes. Yeah, because they're they're trying to find this passage that may or may not exist. Nobody's ever seen it up to this point, and the but you have to find a place to get through that doesn't freeze over with ice. And they did not find it because they got a hundred percent stuck. That sounds true story. Totally horrible. And then in this fictionalized retelling, there's like some supernatural shit that's going just like a little whiff of supernatural shit. And it's about all these sailors living on this boat, and everybody's freaking out. And then maybe there's all like lead poisoning, and it's driving all of them more crazy. It is. So it's probably one of the best TV shows I've ever seen. No kidding. Wow. And this is made by AMC. This is an original show AMC, for these guys. Original okay. TV show. I looked at like the showrunner credits. He hasn't done anything else that I'm familiar with. The Terror. I watched three episodes in a row, and I had. Real life nightmares like a little child. I'm saying the description is horrific. It's It's a nightmare. And it gets even worse. Wow. I I really recommend it. All right. The terror. Cool. And that's going to do it for us this week. Thanks, buddy. Who won? I feel like, man, that was a pretty good bird pitch. Yep. But I would throw a bucket of gourmet chili on that bird and drown it. Oh. And and burn it a little bit in hot chili. And then the bird's uh, in the chili. For chili, then. Then you win. So, total win for the Sea Dog. This one goes to Curtis. Thank you very much, everybody. Our editor is Rachel Polk. Our new intern's name is Bailey. Our music was created by A-Bomb. Super Skull is recorded every week, usually somewhere else, this time in the Sullivan Stronghold. Please subscribe, download, and review the Super Skull Show. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Stitcher. I think you can tell your smart speaker to play Super Skull Show. Really? Yeah. Because really? we're on Google Play now. Can we do that? I want to try it. I don't know. I don't got one. I don't, I don't got, got one of those. I don't got one neither. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook and on Instagram and on our website, Super Skull Show. That's how you can find us. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996. My name is Nick Wybar. I'm Curtis Sullivan. And we wish you very good reading. Until next week. hearing about your stupid orphans. What did you just say? I hate orphans. Say it again to my face. I hate them. Come again? I hate all the orphans in the whole world.